You are listening to High Achiever Diet, lifestyle optimization for high performers. Hello, hello, high performers. This is Vito Tess and welcome to High Achiever Diet Podcast. If this is your first time listening on the Thanks for tuning in. To get a hold of show notes or just get in touch, say hello, uh, go to highachieverdiet.com. Besides that, this is episode number one to High Achiever Diet. And today we have Lucian Akaru, a Romanian coach who is basically redefining a way to approach prevention of chronic diseases and coaching his clients to lose hundreds of pounds in like a really easy fashion, which is eating more fat, eating less carbohydrate, and then getting lean as a result. Uh, we start off with catching up about his recent trek, an endurance event of 100 kilometers, where he spent almost 30 hours trekking with his client in the 60s. And the most interesting fact is that we are powered purely by fat sources. No sugar, no carbohydrates, just fat. So let's start with that and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey Lucian, how are you doing? I'm very well, uh, V, thank you. Are you all recovered uh, after your 100 kilometer trek? Yeah, I'm uh, fully recovered. I was about, uh, surprisingly, 80% recovered uh, on uh, the Monday after, like uh, after 15 hours of sleep. Despite the fact that at the end of the trek, I, I felt a bit pretty battered. Like I didn't believe that I would have recovered so fast. So probably that's again due to supportive diet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you did it with a client who is... Uh in his 60s right and he's following one of your disciplines and and your kind of approach to diet and lifestyle how did it go for him yeah, yeah absolutely well he was my inspiration because uh, he performed a similar trek last year in 2015 london to brighton which is even tougher and uh, most impressive uh, uh, more impressive even it was the fact that he uh, completed it during ramadan so he was fasting it was uh, hot outside, probably 25 degrees, and he uh, completed this trek during daytime. So basically, he wasn't drinking anything, he wasn't eating anything, which uh, surprised all the, the medical staff there. They were monitoring him every checkpoint, because uh, that goes against all their textbook. Like, you need to fuel, you need to hydrate. Yeah. So wait, but, so wait he didn't even hydrate for how many hours? Well, he was walking uh, daytime, so probably 12 uh, hours of uh, daylight. So, you know how is uh, during Ramadan, you uh, eat uh, before uh, or drink before uh, sunrise and then uh, uh, after sunset. Okay. So I, I'm not exactly sure how long is the day, but uh, about this time, I think it's uh, around 11, 12 hours. But even if it's, you know, just walking, it's still an endurance event because, I mean, you have to fill on something. So... What was his diet like after those 12 hours? What, what, what did he replenish it with? Well, he ate the, the normal uh, diet. He ate uh, eggs and uh, some meat, I believe, and uh, drinking a lot of water during the night. Like he was drinking five liters of water to rehydrate. But th that's uh, just during the night. And then, uh, so he took about 26 hours last year. And um, that's how he did it without uh, eating and drinking uh, during daytime but that's it, it means basically he didn't feel on carbohydrate right well absolutely he, he did not so so how does that work i mean um for our listeners out there you know you're a bit advocate of you know high fat low carbohydrate diet 
but anyone who is you know following the conventional wisdom they're gonna be scared and really skeptical well my understanding is that uh, eating a diet that is relatively low in carbohydrates it's actually the human diet and uh, the conventional wisdom or what most people eat it's actually uh, a diet that is not compatible with human metabolism like the high carbohydrate diet is not a human diet that's what i'm saying uh, if you look at the fuel storage in terms of carbohydrate and fat for instance a human which is uh, carbo loading and uh, carbo eating can store about uh, 2000 calories as glycogen in the liver and in the muscle in terms of fat they can store uh, even the leanest individual stores about 100 120000 calories so that's like 50 60 times more So if you if you have a system that you you have the choice to fuel uh, you have a, this small fuel tank of 2000 calories or you choose the the, the biggest uh, the bigger tank that is 50 60 times uh, greater that's uh, that's uh, like a no brainer like biology tells us uh, what we are supposed to uh, to be fueled on it's not the dietitians is not the nutritionists is not uh, this uh, these people who have a basically limited understanding of uh, biology yeah as as you mentioning now nutritionists and dietitians i mean they they think that low fat is a way to go and all the like the studies with like a limited sample of people which are contradict the thing what what is your take on that why are they putting all those skewed facts when in, in the end you have essential fatty acids and the word essential is real important in it right because you don't really have essential sugar or you know essential yeah. carbohydrate absolutely yeah that's another biological uh, fact that uh, we have uh, a need to provide from outside the, the body essential fatty acids and essential amino acids and our bodies have uh, the ability to manufacture carbohydrate inside through gluconeogenesis a pathway in the liver even if some uh, parts of our body need uh, exclusively to fuel on carbohydrate on sugar our liver makes it from protein or fat so there is no need to uh, ingest it interesting fact number 1 about lucian is that just like myself he discovered low carbohydrate or restricted carbohydrate lifestyle and practice by simply being exposed to material which didn't make sense and which was not fruitful in giving results science or himself needed he estimates that almost 50% of all the material he was presented in degree of sports science and uh what he's presented as a coach doesn't add up he started questioning every single study and material given to him as scientifically viable most importantly he started focusing on not how many calories his clients consume but what sort of calories coming back to the why are dietitians and nutritionists pushing this uh, approach yeah, i think it stems from um, a basic misunderstanding of science because uh, there are uh, in nutritional science there are two types of evidence which is one is observational which is very poor in terms of scientific strength which means that people are uh, being observed by uh, the researchers so there is no intervention and uh, these studies are basically based on questionnaires which are sent or um, uh, administered every 2 to 4 years that means that the participants are being asked what have been eating over the past 2 to 4 years and then they check uh, lots of boxes and that that's their measuring tool that's uh, how uh, they measure this, this dietary intakes 
And at the, the opposite end, there is a harder type of science, the mechanistical type of science, the interventional, where people actually are split into groups and researchers try to isolate variables. Like they put one group on a low-fat diet, another group on a high-fat diet, and maybe a third one they use it as control. So uh, in this type of evidence, the, all the randomized control trials that have been uh, performed in this manner, they show uh, that the high-fat, uh, low-carbohydrate diet is superior for weight loss and for reduction in cardiovascular risk factors. People's health improve more on a low-carbohydrate um, diet. And in fact, that's, that was the, the hard uh, basis of this report that came out uh, just on Monday from the National Obesity Forum and the Public uh, Health Collaborations, which are two independent charities, and uh, that sparked a lot of headlines. Uh, and for the first time, probably, they, they stated in, in the UK here uh, very clearly that people should eat fat and should uh, avoid counting calories or uh, uh, move away from the, the dogma. So the, the complete opposite to what the establishment uh, is uh, advocating. And since you mentioned you know a heart disease and all the chronic diseases which is basic one of the main illnesses and which is responsible for most of deaths in you know modern society uh your client base is pretty impressive gotten to know you back in the day like what impressed me the most was that you had some case studies which basically uh put your clients who had type 2 diabetes back in remission so how did that work well uh, we all uh, my understanding is that we all sit on a spectrum of insulin resistance which can range from 25 grams for severely obese or diabetic person to maybe 200 grams for someone who's lean and relatively healthy metabolically so uh, these people who have diabetes or severe obesity their metabolism is wrecked it's in a pretty bad state so their tolerance to carbohydrate is very low anything above that uh, causes metabolic havoc. So 25-30 grams is nothing. Basically, it's a slice of bread and a nap during the day. But that, that being said, they, they're not getting their carbohydrate from these sources, from fruit and uh, starchy grains. They're getting uh, those little carbohydrates from green leafy vegetables, which are high in antioxidants uh, and vitamins and nutrients. So how does that work? Uh, these people uh, restrict their carbohydrate, uh, their individual uh, threshold, for, and, and they do it consistently, like day after day after day for six months and forever, basically. Because if they have this condition, uh, insulin resistance, it will always stay with them. That never goes away. So what we change is the environmental trigger. So when people with insulin, with severe insulin resistance, eat a high-carbohydrate diet, they develop all sorts of markers. Like obesity is one marker, diabetes is another marker, heart disease is another marker. A lot of people say, and I believe it so, that cancer is another marker of a high-carbohydrate diet in people with insulin resistance. And all these uh, markers, because you hear it all the time, obesity is associated with diabetes. Obesity is associated with cancer. Obesity is associated with um, heart disease. But that doesn't mean that one causes the other. They're just running along. Some people are obese and uh, not diabetics. In fact, 25-20% probably of type 2 diabetics are lean. So that alone uh, disproves the causality, that one doesn't cause the other. You know, before you develop any of those symptoms, I mean, is there a way to tell that you're insulin resistant? Well, yes, there are. There are some uh, quite powerful uh, markers which uh, you can test for. One of them that I would test is uh, glycated hemoglobin, it's called. So there is this molecule in the blood that carries oxygen to all cells, hemoglobin, and you can uh, measure the glycation status. That means the damage made by the, the sugar spikes. So if this is, to my knowledge, about 5.5, you're heading, you're eating too much carbohydrate. You need to lower that. Another way to do it, which is a bit more invasive, 
but people uh, do it uh, every day um, outside uh, medical supervision is to ingest a sugary drink, uh, like 75 grams, I think they give you, and then uh, measure insulin response in relation to this uh, sugar load, like after half an hour, one hour, one hour and a half, and uh, see how much insulin you need to push that, that sugar load into your uh, cells. So more uh, insulin you need, more insulin resistant you are mm -hmm. and this is uh, how you do it so you you test for this and then uh, and then you you look at your uh, genetical inheritance so if your mom dad has uh, diabetes then you got it you got this insulin resistance background genetic background would you say that um only people who have insulin resist should try high fat diet or is it good for anyone should you know yeah. regular joe who has no idea if he's insulin resistant illnesses in his family line and his lineage is any, anyhow linked in, to insulin resistance. Should they still try it? Well, myself, for instance, I'm not really resistant because uh, I uh, I was always lean. I was always, uh, but I, I was uh, probably on the uh, different end of the spectrum. Like I was sickly skinny. And what? Uh, why did I adopt this diet? The one, uh, I, I cut out the grains, the wheat in particular, because uh, I found out that was affecting uh, my body in a way that was turning my own immune system against me. So I had an autoimmune reaction to gluten and other peptides in the wheat. But then after, why would regular Joe try it even uh, if they think that they're not insulin resistant? It's because it's a diet that is highly supportive of health and highly supportive of uh, muscular and uh, bone um, attrition. These are foods that are uh, providing you with, like, which are the foods that I'm talking? It's butter, it's ghee, it's animal fats, it's meat, it's fish, it's uh, green leafy vegetables. So these are, are foods that are highly nutritious in, in, uh, compared with grains and uh, starchy vegetables. These are um, much uh, healthier because uh, what do the grains provide you with they provide you with um, a sugar bowl which is non-essential for uh, for human interesting fact about Lucian number two is what he calls a critical appraisal of the scientific evidence I found that like really interesting so I tried to drill down and ask you know what does that mean and that means actually that doesn't matter what comes your way, for example, an online article or someone your family member or a friend gives you, you automatically would presume that we have the authority to actually impact and that, you know, if we share, it's important. But what Lucian says is that you should still question the items that you listen in that vein, meaning that there is always a contradictory study which says complete opposite. If there is none, it means that it's not science because if you cannot disprove it, it's not really evidence. So that's one of the takeaways, I guess, that anyone can apply to their lifestyle is that don't just believe what we say even in this podcast. Try and look out for yourself, try reading books and then having a multitude of knowledge which we can then distill and see what works for you best. What people are not being said is that with carbohydrate, you can only do two things. So carbohydrate is sugar and sugar uh, is carbohydrate. That's what I uh, teach my uh, my clients to use this term uh, interchangeably. So with carbohydrate, you can only do two things. If you are insulin sensitive, you can metabolize it as energy. And if you're not, or the, the other thing is store it as fat. So in order for you to build anything in the human body, like hormones, skin, hair, eyes, brains, anything else, 
you need fat and protein. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, I believe uh, the basis of a human diet should be coming from these uh, macronutrients. But, you know, um, I think vegans and vegetarians out there are going to like severely disagree with you on that. <laughs> To my knowledge, there are a few people who, who do quite well on a vegan or vegetarian diet. And that is probably, in my understanding, because they have a microbiota in their guts that gets the nutrients from uh, those uh, foods that they eat, the nutrients that they need. But most people, uh, I don't believe they do uh, very well. And there is no evidence, no scientific evidence to support that, that vegans or vegetarians are in any terms healthier than uh, meat eaters that uh, that kind of evidence that i was talking even the, the observational one and uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any randomized control trials that uh, support their uh, the fact that they're healthier i fully agree with uh, with them on the the ethical aspect of meat of not eating meat like not eating meat from these industrially uh, raised animals so that's one of the things that i support and uh, my clients try to and myself uh, also try to eat meat from uh, animals have been raised in a humane and healthy way so they, they've been roaming outside mm -hmm. so uh, in, in in this regard yeah i um, i understand their uh, argument yeah what what's your take on counting calories because i mean that's quite controversial too you know that a typical coach would just tell you okay uh, skip a meal what's your take on that well, clearly we are. We have to obey humans like any other thing in this universe probably has to obey this second law of thermodynamics that calories in must equal calories out. But in, in terms of nutrition, calories are actually meaningless because what I teach my, my people, what, what do calories mean? So calories are a measure of heat. That's useful in thermodynamics, but not in nutrition. So uh, if you want to produce some heat, I ask them, what uh, would you do? If you want to heat some water, what do you do? Would you burn an egg? Would you burn a piece of bread? Would you burn that? Would you burn that to, to produce heat? Uh, you would put a kettle on. No? So that's what calories measure. So food has many other values, not just heat value. Food uh, entails a lot of other things like then the macronutrient content how uh, that uh, food where it, does it come from how how that animal or that plant or that that organism that fish or whatever uh, was living uh, what uh, and, and so on there's so many other values that uh, food has other than calories and uh, it's uh, it's been disproven this hypothesis that uh, you you just count calories and you you restrict calorie intake and uh, you lose weight and you maintain this weight loss has been uh, disproven because what you actually do when you restrict your calorie intake and eat foods that are low in uh, fat and uh, high in uh, sugar you actually starve your internal organs of uh, your tissues of uh, the essentials yeah you lose weight but that doesn't necessarily mean that you get healthier and in the long term you bounce back up because you're uh, you're always hungry. You're perpetuously hungry when you eat the wrong foods for your metabolism. Opposed to uh, this approach that uh, I coach, like these people that you mentioned with diabetes, severe obesity, that lost 45, 60 kilos and, and so on and so forth. They uh, ate these foods when they were hungry or they are eating these foods when they are hungry and they stop when they're full. And so they never experience hunger. Whenever they're hungry, they eat and they stop when they're full. As opposed to low-fat dieters, which are always miserable, they're always hungry, and they're, uh, they have a very strong willpower that's uh, had down to them. But I, I believe that, and clearly, they, uh, they are damaging uh, their health in the long uh, term by uh, adopting this uh, low-fat approach. Mm -hmm. But your clients, um, aren't they skeptical at first, you know, because you're basically saying different things than a regular trainer or coach would say? I started this thing uh, about three years ago after I graduated my from my sports science degree. 
So when I first started talking about this, people were looking at me like very odd, and it was quite difficult to push these arguments to them. But since then, I coached so many people, and it worked in so many cases, and I have so many testimonials that uh, it's rather obvious that this approach works. Just getting into nitty-gritty, you know, technical stuff. What the listeners also think would want to hear is, you know, like what I found, for example, personally, is that if I'm on high-fat diet, which I do cyclically in my lifestyle, uh, I experience really big boost in my brain capacity, could you elaborate more of, of what happens to your brain, for example, and why, you know, brain capacity, focus and memory increases when you are on high fat diet? Well, when you uh, restrict carbohydrates to a sufficiently low level, your metabolism starts switching on the alternative fuel, which I believe is the primary source of fuel. That is fat. Fatty acids are being sent to the liver and broken down into uh, ketone bodies. And these ketone bodies, they, um, they are being metabolized at the cellular level to energy, just as glucose is. The mitochondria, after adaptation, they start preferring these, um, these molecules, these ketone bodies. So what happens, uh, for instance, why is it that uh, a lot of people report improvement in uh, their, their ability to focus um, and uh, so on, stuff related to the brain? This is ketone bodies because they supply a steady state of energy to the brain. So I believe the brain is happier on, on ketones. Um, some evidence, very powerful evidence, comes, for instance, from people who suffer from uh, epilepsy. And this uh, diet, ketogenic diet, has been uh, documented in, uh, in this uh, area since the 1920s. For instance, for kids who who have this condition and are medication resistant, like um, medication doesn't do uh, any good for them, uh, the, the ketogenic diet can resolve that. So they, uh, they don't longer experience uh, fits. Interesting fact number three from Lucian is how to actually do it right. And most of the experts out there will tell you that it doesn't make sense to just dismiss the glucose, the carbohydrate and, and general sugar out of your diet because that's what you run on. That's what your body prefers to. But the fact is, your body doesn't have a choice but to burn the sugar you give it. And the more sugar you give, the more insulin resistant it becomes. Meaning that as you age, the chance of you developing a chronic disease increases exponentially. Glucose, on the other hand, is not a scarce resource and your body is able to produce its own out of the protein and fat through a process called gluconogenesis. Do you use any supplements? Like, have you heard of, you know, exogenous ketones? Have you tried those out? Well, I don't. I don't exogenous supplements uh, in that that regards. The only supplements that I take are maybe some minerals like magnesium, uh, zinc, and uh, maybe sometimes some uh, omega-3. But I just measured my uh, blood ketones, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrase, which is this uh, one ketone body in the, the bloodstream the other morning, just by curiosity, and it was uh, 1.2. That confirms that I'm, I'm in a good state of ketosis, even without uh, struggling. And that's 1.2 millimole, right? Yeah, that's 1.2 millimole per liter. Anything about 1.5, you're in um, a sort of degree of more optimal ketosis. And uh, this is, uh, is uh, actually necessary for these people who have uh, epilepsy or even cancer to prevent fits or uh, remission or sorry, or uh, reoccurrence of, of uh, tumors. But regular person, would, would we have to track it if they go on high fat diet just to know where we are at or is it unnecessary? 
Well, to most of my, my clients, I don't track it. But uh, if they wish to do so, if they're curious, which is natural and uh, human, uh, they could. And uh, they can do that with a rather inexpensive device, which is a glucometer, which has also the ability to test for uh, ketone bodies. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's rather interesting to, uh, to test it because this way you, you actually have a very reliable measure regarding your metabolic status, whether uh, or not you are in uh, ketosis. Back from my bodybuilding days, uh, I think everybody had those, you know, where you would just focus on building mass, keeping your body fat low. I remember doing carb refeeds. You know, once in a while, every couple of weeks, I would have a day where I would refeed carbs on the ketogenic diet. Do you do anything like that? Well, personally, I don't do it. So I, I rather trust my, my, my brain to do it. I don't schedule it, basically. But if I go somewhere and I see some fruit or something like that, I might eat a bit more of that, like in season, maybe. But I, I don't schedule uh, per se. Because, I mean... People probably should know that also if you know if you consume any sugar or fructose, it probably is gonna bounce you off the ketosis, right? Yeah, it it will probably temporarily or um, for uh, now it depends again on your insulin resistance uh, level. If you are severely insulin resistant, then uh, probably it will bounce you off for another two weeks, and that will uh, slow down your your weight loss or uh, other goals that you may have. Your diabetic uh, control it will worsen. Mm-hmm. But or another thing that tends to happen after you uh, adopt this approach. Uh, this high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet and strength train. So I think muscular cells are becoming more insulin-sensitive. So you could dispose of a bit more glucose, of dietary carbohydrate. You could uh, send them in these uh, cells. You can uh, probably tolerate a bit more. But that's individual. Everything is individual. So there is no, uh, no one-size-fits-all. You have to uh, experiment, test, and uh, see whether or not it works for you. And you mentioned two weeks. Is that a period what it takes you to reach that ketogenic state where you're fat? Well, in in my experience, from um, by measuring my clients, which were primarily fueled on sugar for most of their lives and grains, yeah, it takes uh, about three weeks. I think for females, it takes a bit more. For males, it tends to work uh, faster. Lots of people, me included, feel that kind of like a keto flu, which is you basically feel like you're in a flu condition, you know, in those first three to four days when your body shifts, you know, from into consuming fat and converting into ketones. Do you have any? experience in treating that or you know overcoming it faster it's it's uh, rather normal to experience these uh, bumps uh, start by uh, performing such metabolic shift there are a few tweaks that i tell my clients to do like they uh, have a dizziness or uh, they feel uh, this keto flu that you're mentioning uh, they could eat handful of berries some other low glycemic fruit like that or they they also have to uh, adapt tweak their salt intake because on this type of diet our kidneys do what they're supposed to do excrete uh, salt they should uh, increase their salt intake in order for uh, tissues to the brain sorry to um, to get its its sodium and just out of interest what what is your daily nutrition plan look like what's what for example did you have for this very breakfast this morning i rarely eat breakfast i uh, my first meal it's around 12 one o'clock but i eat pretty much the same i eat meat fish eggs and vegetables. Do you do like uh, intermittent fasting then? Well, no, I, I just don't eat because I'm not hungry. I don't I don't feel the need to eat in the morning. I just drink espresso, times a bulletproof coffee. But otherwise, I don't feel hungry. So I, I just eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. I try to enjoy every meal, like be satisfied with, with every meal. 
like eat uh, delicious food and be healthy. You know, it's not uh, about uh, restricting pleasure, which some people may think. For some people, pleasure is a tub of ice cream, so <laughs> it's hard, yeah, hard that, to define that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. When well, when you were all your life running on and uh, being addicted to carbohydrates, then you're actually feeding your your brain's addiction, not necessarily your body's health. Do you do any specific training routines when it comes to physical training? Well, in in this um, area, we focus on movement because that's what humans do. So they are the most complex movers on this planet, probably. They can do more than any other creature. We're not the fastest runner or the, the fastest swimmers, but we can do loads and loads and loads of things. And uh, probably one of the reasons why we have such a big brain is movement complexity. That's what I focus on, movement, real natural movement, like fundamental, like squatting, uh, pulling, pushing, jumping, uh, throwing, crawling, inversion, like handstands and so on, these kind of things. Mind, uh, obviously, the limitations of the individuals and um, their specific uh, conditions. To make it a bit simpler, what I base it on is primarily strength training, using either uh, one's own body weight or uh, all sorts of devices to perform uh, strength training. Just drop like a knowledge bomb. But for those people who are still skeptical but would like to try it out, what would you recommend to do first to transition to that adapted lifestyle? What I would recommend them to do is start reading and informing themselves. And if they choose to do so, to change their lifestyle, they, they should have relatively good uh, knowledge base and uh, understand that if they do that, they shouldn't do it for just a few days, weeks or uh, months. Because a lot of people go on this diet for a few days and they think, oh, it's not, uh, it's not working for me. And, and what books would you recommend or, or what thought leaders to follow on that that kind of area yeah one of the best book that they should start with is co-authored by one of my heroes an ex professor of exercise science from south africa is called the real meal revolution was launched there i think last year and it's a very informative book where there's a lot of science at the start plus got plenty of recipes very delicious food in there that's one of them if they're they want to go a bit deeper into understanding why we are in such a mess and why the low fat diet actually doesn't have any scientific support, I would recommend them to read The Big Fat Surprise by Ina Tashel. Other thought leaders, which are a bit more geeky, probably Gary Taubes or David Asprey, like branch out from there. I'm not going to take much more of your time. I just have one last question. If you think about it, lots of people are kind of tied to that busy, high-performing lifestyle where we, uh, with their peers, go out, drink, uh, eat out, you know, go to a restaurant. What would you recommend to do in that case? Because, you know, for example, myself, I find it like really hard to deal with a social pressure because if we go to a restaurant which works for everyone but you, what options would you suggest or what to do in that case? It's rather difficult to eat out there and on, on this approach and then make the, the food choices that are health. Obviously, you could uh, eat uh, the meat, stuff like that. But the, the problem is that they marinate them with uh, these uh, toxic oils, the, the so-called vegetable oils. And uh, go out myself with my partner and like a lot of times we eat out and then we, we have cramps and abdominal distress uh, by eating these meals because they, uh, they cook them with these uh, toxic oils. So, yeah, it's rather difficult. But what uh, you you could do to minimize that is eat meat basically or fish and instead of uh, rice or pasta ask for salads avoid bread avoid and maybe ask for a gluten-free bread if you're gluten sensitive 
That's what we do. Uh, I'm happy that you asked this question. What I'm uh, in our plan now is uh, to, to launch a catering business, which uh, will uh, deliver foods that are uh, compatible with this uh, way of eating and uh, get them delivered in schools, offices. And and that's in London, UK, right? Yeah, that's in East London. Nice. So lastly, where, where can people find more about you and, you know, about your initiatives and the Eat Fat, Get Lean movement? What would be that homepage? At the moment, my active website for my personal training business is lucianpt.com. So that's L-U-C-I-A-N-P-T.com. Eatfatgetlean.co.uk. So uh, probably this will be the base to find me. And then... Uh, from there they can find the the links to social media great stuff thank you so much lucian truly dropped a knowledge bomb which is really approachable and i think anyone from advanced people in that high fat lifestyle as well as new joiners will just find it extremely useful so thanks a lot well thank you i'll see you soon yeah see you